this morning. Let's lift his name up. Let's acknowledge that he is the promise keeper and that he has promised life and he is the way maker to the fullness of life that God has for us. We praise you, God. We thank you for your presence this morning. And God, we ask that Jesus this morning, you would do something among us, Lord. God, we're here, every one of us gathered, whatever our journey of faith, whatever our experience of life, we're here this morning because if you're there, we want to encounter who you are together. Jesus, could we encounter you through your word this morning? We praise you, God. Everyone said, Amen. Say Amen again. Give someone a high five if you like, and you can take a seat. Man, what, a, what an awesome song. Thank you, team, for leading us in that. I love declaring the truth about who God is together as a church. Now, if we haven't had the, the chance to meet, my name's Phil. I'm part of the team here at True North. I'm a father of two, a husband to one, and I believe in Jesus. And I believe in the power of Jesus, and that's why I'm here this morning. You know, the last couple of weeks here at True North, we've been speaking into the place of the soul the deeper parts of who we are, and most importantly, the part of us that we were created with to know and experience the power and the presence of God. The part of us that as we come together and declare the praises of God as a church community that comes alive, that's the soul acknowledging the presence of God as we gather together to praise, to bring worship to who He is. And uh, I've had a lot of fun this past few weeks reflecting on the, the space of the soul. We've talked about clarity in the soul, the root of the soul, and uh, the verse I shared even this morning, you might have heard me speak about a couple of weeks ago, John 14 and verse 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. He's saying, I'm the revealer and I'm the renewer. I'm the one that brings newness of life. And, uh, and what I want to do this morning is really just focus on that aspect of who God is as the renewer of the soul. And in particular, think about who Jesus is and the work of renewal that we see expressed in the life of Jesus. You know, in the, in the Scriptures in the New Testament, we have four Gospels. We have Matthew, we have Mark, we have Luke, and uh, what's the other one? I forget. Anyone know? It's John, right? It's John. I'm, I'm testing you guys. I, I like a little bit of banter, so if you feel like you need to call something out, please do so. So throughout the Gospels, we see these incredible, amazing stories where individuals have an encounter with Jesus. And time and time again, whenever somebody has an encounter with Jesus, he brings some kind of renewal to their life. Sometimes it's a physical healing. Sometimes there's a miraculous healing where maybe a paralyzed individual begins walking, a blind person begins seeing. There's a physical renewal. Sometimes it's a social renewal that relationships are repaired. And always it's a renewal of the soul as Jesus reveals more of who God is and how a person's life can be transformed by the presence of God in their life. So this morning, as I was thinking about that belief that I have and a belief that many of us share that Jesus is the renewer, that I thought, let's take a look at some of these moments in Scripture where that renewal happens in the life of people. And maybe there's a framework within some of these passages in Scripture that can point us towards the reality of how to engage more with the renewal of God in our lives. You know, I believe passionately in the power of God's Word. I believe that every story contained in Scripture is preserved there by God so that it can have an impact, a transformational impact on our lives. And this morning, we're gonna get into 
uh, into a story where we see the renewal of Jesus to the place of the soul just in real time. And I, and I love it so much. And, uh, and to do that, we're going to go to Luke chapter 19. I'm hoping I've got that right. That was off the top of my head a little bit. Can we get that up on the screen? Did I get it right? Come on! Luke 19, can we applaud that? Come on, Phil, well done. You remembered some basic notes that you prepared earlier. So Luke chapter 19 and verses 1 to 4. And we're going to begin reading this story together here this morning. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And in fact, what Jesus is doing in this moment, right before this, he was walking up to the gates of Jericho and there's a blind person on the side of the road as he's about to enter into the gates. And the blind person cries out and says, Jesus, have mercy on me, heal me. And sure enough, Jesus stops and he heals the blind man. So even as he's entering the city, he does this amazing miracle of renewal. And the reason he's passing through Jericho is because he's traveling to resurrect a dead man named Lazarus. So this is what's happening. Jesus is passing through Jericho. Now a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Can someone say Zacchaeus? Come on, say it with a bit more force. Say Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. I like it. Now there's a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, really quickly, I want to help you locate Zacchaeus as an individual within this story. So Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and you hear a phrase like that, and you kind of almost have an immediate negative reaction. Like a tax collector, that doesn't sound good, right? Anyone else having that reaction as you hear that? You're like, that's probably not a really positive thing in the eyes of the local community. But what it was for, for Zacchaeus, he's living in a time in the world that Jesus lived in as a Jew and in these Jewish towns and cities. It was in the period of history where the, the Roman Empire had just spread over the ancient world. And what they did is they took over countries and towns and really cultures. One of the strategies they put in place is that they would take a local from within their own culture to operate as a tax collector on behalf of Rome. So you have Zacchaeus as a Jewish man in a Jewish city taking taxes from his Jewish brothers and sisters and giving them to Rome. So you can imagine that the feeling towards Zacchaeus and people like Zacchaeus was a little bit negative from amongst the people. So we know that Zacchaeus is in this kind of position. Can we get the verse back on there? And he was wealthy as a result of his profession. Now, he wanted to see who Jesus was. We've got to underscore this in our reading this morning. When we talk about knowing the renewal of Jesus in our life, it's this kind of desire that's always going to be the starting point. And here's what Zacchaeus expresses. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So listen to this. He ran ahead. Someone say ran ahead. He ran ahead and he climbed high. Someone say climbed high. Ran ahead, climbed high, a sycamore fig tree, so that he could see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I love already what we see in the life of Zacchaeus in this story up to this point. No one worry about that snake noise. It's not a giant snake hissing through anything. I'm right on that. I've got a thing with snakes. No snakes at the back. So Zacchaeus, I love what we see already in here. He has this clearly expressed intention to see Jesus. We don't know exactly where he's at in his own journey. We don't know what faith looks like for him, but we know that he wants to see who Jesus is. And we can also see that he's got a challenge. So alongside Zacchaeus's clear intention, there's also some action. He runs ahead and he climbs high. 
Now, here's what I love about Zacchaeus in this moment and what I believe is actually happening, that Zacchaeus is becoming a seeker. He's becoming a seeker. He's seeking the presence of Jesus. You know, it's amazing as you go through the Gospels, and even in your own mind, if you've read some of these stories or heard someone speak about them, there's all these incredible miracles that Jesus does, whether it's, you know, healing blind people or the paralyzed people being lowered through the roof and placed at his feet. The thing that's really interesting is that all of these stories, so many of them, in fact, begin as an interruption. Even as Jesus is going into Jericho, a blind person cries out and Jesus responds. It starts as an interruption because someone became a seeker. And the great thing about Jesus is he always responds to seekers. And Zacchaeus becomes a seeker with clear intent and with defined action. I want to see Jesus. I'm going to run ahead and I'm going to climb high. You know, hide and seek is actually quite a big thing in my world at the moment. I've got, I've got two little boys, uh, a nearly five-year-old and a, a three-year-old. I think I've got that right. My wife's not here to scold me if I've got it wrong. Uh, she doesn't scold me. She's loving and supportive. Uh, so I've got a five-year-old. He's five on the 28th of February, just to let you know. The last thing was a joke, and I do know his age. Anyway, so I've got a near five-year-old and a three-year-old, and their whole world right now is hide and seek. Any parents here this morning, you've gone through a phase like that? And you, Yeah, right? And your kids, are, they're just into it. It's like every waking moment, Daddy, let's play hide and seek. And, uh, and what the really funny thing is, and the really cool thing, and the really warm thing, is when your kids are really little, they start getting some opening concepts to what hide and seek is. And so they'll start hiding by like sitting down in the middle of a room and closing their eyes. And they're like, I'm doing such a good job hiding. There's no way daddy can ever find me. And you kind of, you know, if you're a, a kind of soft-hearted parent, you pretend like you can't see them straight away and you pretend like you're looking in cupboards and things like that. And they're, oh, you're right there in the middle of the room. And, and, but of course, as they get a little bit older, they get better and better at hiding. And my kids now, they're at a sweet spot where they're still pretty small, but they're smart enough to hide in the good spots. And now they're like, they're dynamite hiders. They're getting into laundry cupboards. They're fitting under beds, getting under couches. They're like getting under the couch cushions behind. Like There are times where I'm like, I genuinely think I've lost them. I'm like, I'm playing hide and seek and I get to a point where, you know, as a parent, you're kind of like, oh, where are you? Can't find you. And then the tone changes like, where are you? Quick, come out. I need to know where you are. I, had, I genuinely had this experience a couple of weeks ago where, where my wife had gone out to the shops. I'm playing hide and seek. And I dead set thought I've lost both the kids. I thought they'd gone out the front and had just like hidden out in the neighborhood somewhere. And I'm like, they're gone. And so I think, what am I going to say to my wife when she gets home? I'm like, look, they're, they're five, they're three. They've had a good run there. You know, we've, we've done our thing as parents. We've released them into the world. But sure enough, they were hiding in this amazing like laundry cupboard that's like this big. Both of them in there giggling. I'm like, oh, good, they're still here. But you know what, really, what I really love, my, my kids, they're both good hiders. But my oldest one, he's a crazy good seeker. He's a crazy good seeker. And he does this approach where he'll start in one end of the house and he'll have this system in his mind. And systematically, he works through each room and each possible hiding space. And he calls it out as he's going. Okay, daddy's not, daddy's not in the living room. He's not under the couch. He's not behind the curtains. That's the only two spots. And I can literally hear him just monologuing his approach to finding daddy. And so what's cool is, as you know where he's been, you can kind of try to shift to different locations. That, that's being a good hider. That's not taking advantage of your children. And, and he's just got this incredible approach as he works his way through the house and he's calling it out. And I love the incredible intention that he has. No matter what, I'm going to find my dad. 
And if he cracks it, he'll say, okay, daddy, that's enough. You need to come out. And then I put away my MBA app and come out and, you know, play with, play with my kids. But, but I love that he just calls out this intention. There's this defined action that says, no matter what, I'm going to put things in place and work through this process so that I can find my dad. You know, there's something powerful that happens within us when we choose to become seekers and say, I want to know and experience more of the presence of God in my life. Is anyone like that here this morning? Come on, you can put your hand up to that. If there's more of God to experience, I want to know more of His presence in my life. That's me. I hope that's you as well because God has so much more for your life than you even know. But it has to, just, it has to be more than desire. Becoming a true seeker of the presence of God, it has to be okay. What does running ahead and climbing high look like in your life? What's the defined action that's going to make sure you experience more of the presence of God? Maybe some defined action in your life is saying, you know what? I believe in the power of church community. I'm going to prioritize this space. I'm going to make sure that I'm here on Sunday mornings. Maybe for you, it's something different. And you're like, I, I need to get in God's word. I need to read these stories of Jesus. I need to, to engage with scripture. And it's going to show up for five minutes in a reading plan every day in my life. You know what that is? That's defined action. And defined actions make intentions come to life. And Zacchaeus does exactly this. He becomes a true seeker. Clear intention, defined action, running ahead, climbing high. Let's see what happens next in the passage. Where are we going? Verse 5, I reckon that seems about right. Beautiful. So Luke 19, verse 5. Now when Jesus reached the spot, so Zacchaeus, he's up in his tree looking out for Jesus, ready to have this experience, ready to have this encounter. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now listen to this phrase, I must stay at your house tonight. Not, hey, could we hang out tonight? Not, hey, what do you reckon about spending some time? No, it's I must. It's an imperative statement. He says, we are hanging out tonight. We're spending time together. So he, Zacchaeus, came down at once and listen to this phrase, welcomed him gladly. This is Zacchaeus' attitude towards the presence of Jesus. He welcomes it gladly. Now, all the people saw this and began to mutter, Ugh, it's got to be the guest of a sinner. You see who Jesus is spending time with tonight? Oh, my goodness. And that attitude's coming from what we know about who Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus is as a tax collector and the Jewish perspective on that particular role and what it meant. So here's the great thing that Zacchaeus discovers, that we discover as well, that Jesus, he's not about hiding. And in fact, Jesus' response to Zacchaeus is seeking. He says, I must stay at your house tonight. Did you know Jesus in his entire nature, in his essence, he responds to seekers? It's not even a choice for him. It's not a matter of selection for him. It's when somebody seeks his presence, he responds every single time. That if there's a genuine desire in me to know who Jesus is, Jesus isn't going to hide from me. He says, I must respond to that seeker of my presence. And you see it throughout the gospel stories time and time again where Jesus stops everything to respond to someone who has a heart to seek. But then it's about the response in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly to welcome the presence of God gladly in his life. You know, you probably realize by now that we welcome different people different situations with varying degrees of gladness into our life. For example, the past month, almost every morning at 7.30 a.m., 
this particular telemarketer has been calling me. I won't say where he's from. I don't want to publicly shame anyone. But literally, every second day, I get a phone call. Bang on 7.30. And I'm probably saying, you know, at first, I try to be pretty polite. No, look, thanks for calling, man. Really not interested. You, you have a great day. You, you know. And then as it went on and on, and literally sometimes it's the same guy. I was like, oh, hey, buddy, how's it going again? You know, I don't, you know I'm not interested. You have a good day. See you later. And then, you know, they really don't like to let you like, end a conversation. So they keep talking. And I'm like, I know, you know, see you, mate. You have a great day. You have a good day. See you later. And he keeps going. I said good day. And eventually you just have to hang up. So every, every morning at 7.30, this was happening. Now let's frame that kind of experience as a, we we're going to do a scale of one to 10 here. That's a number one on the welcome gladly into my life. Is that making sense for anyone? You have an experience like that, someone coming into your life with a, with a particular focus, with a particular, whatever it might be. Okay, I'm not welcoming that situation gladly into my life. Sometimes we have to, to go through it, but I'm not welcoming that situation gladly. Then on the flip side, let's say the person you love most in the world. Anyone, everyone got that picture in your head? Could be, a, could be a husband, could be a wife, a partner, could be, it could be your pet dog, cat, whoever it is. Whoever you love most in the world comes to you as some kind of an amazing gift. They're, I guess the, the dog or cat analogy breaks down at this point. They don't tend, to, don't tend to give gifts unless it's a cat and it's some kind of dead animal. <sighs> Sorry, my brain goes in tracks at times. But let's say the person you love most in the world gives you this amazing gift and you receive it gladly. You're like, oh, you're amazing. This is amazing. I can't believe you did this for me. And that's like a 10 on a welcoming gladly into my life. Here's a question we need to ask ourselves. If we want to know and experience more of the renewal of Jesus in our life, if we want to position ourselves as seekers of of his presence, that when we actually find him, what is our attitude to receiving Jesus in our life? We can use that scale for a moment. How overjoyed are you about the reality that Jesus wants to be in your life? How much do you welcome gladly the reality that the Savior of the world knows your name and wants to be a part of your life, your experience of life? It says, I must be a part of your life. And Zacchaeus, he's overjoyed. He welcomes it gladly. And if we're going to know more of the renewal of Jesus in our lives, we need to welcome his presence in our life daily with gladness. You know, if you're unsure how you might answer that question, one of the places we can see it is in what praise looks like in our life. If you want to know how glad you are about the presence of God in your life, ask yourself the question, where is praise coming out of me? If you want to build an attitude of gladness in your life, ask yourself the question, how can I grow more and more to become a person of praise, a person of gratitude, a person that when you arrive at church, you're ready to sing out these songs of joy with a heart full of praise. You're a person that no matter what you're facing, no matter what circumstance, you can hold on to the truth that God has provided Jesus for you and your salvation, no matter what the valley you walk through. to welcome gladly the presence of God. Now, it's at this point in this encounter with Jesus where renewal is gonna start to show up. You ready for it? Let's check out the next passage of scripture. Next verses as we're coming along. What do we got? Verse eight. Now, Zacchaeus, remember, there's a whole crowd gathered. Everyone's all around. They don't like that Jesus is having a meal with him. And this is how he responds to the whole situation. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
Now, this is significant. He's calling Jesus Lord. That means Lord and Savior. That Zacchaeus somehow has come to this miraculous revelation that Jesus is more than a teacher or or rabbi, the Jewish word for teacher, that Jesus is actually the Lord. So something has shifted in Zacchaeus' belief around who Christ is. And he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, and the inference then is that he probably has cheated some people, taking advantage of his position of power, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, this is an insane transformation, an insane transformation expressed in Zacchaeus' behavior. Would anyone agree with that? Let's remember who he is for a moment. He's a tax collector, a tax collector that has given to cheating people out of their income for himself so he can build wealth, and now he's taken a full 180. Now, this isn't just about justice. He's not just saying, anything that I've taken, I will pay back to the dollar amount. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'll pay back four times the amount. So he goes from cheating to blessing. He goes from selfishness to generosity, This is an insane transformation in behavior. He gives half of everything he has because something has shifted within him. There's a renewal that we can see expressed in his behavior. And you know what? The renewal of Jesus will always show up in your behavior, but your behavior is not where the renewal happens. Hold on to that phrase. Christianity is not about behavior. Christianity is not about being this, this, or this. Christianity, faith in God, renewal in Jesus is not about behavior. Eventually it will show up there, but it starts somewhere deeper. Now this incredible transformation in Zacchaeus, I believe that through the power of God we can experience as well. Now in this story, it seems to happen at like 5, 10, 50 times normal speed through the miraculous presence of Jesus. For us, sometimes it can take a little bit more work. Sometimes I can identify things in my life that, that I would love to grow through and have the intention to grow through. And I think to myself, God, can't I just have a Zacchaeus transformation without doing any work? And then I realize my motives and I need to do the work to grow through those spaces. But here's what Zacchaeus is experiencing, behavioral renewal. And to look at it, you're like, where on earth did that come from? You know, I want to show you something in the next verse. Here in verse 9, Jesus is going to make a declaration about who Zacchaeus is. And it's linked to the action that he makes in the verse preceding, where he says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. Now, I want us to think about the world Jesus lived in for a moment. Now, Jesus was a, was a teacher. The, the, again, like I said, the Jewish word for that is a rabbi. In their culture, the rabbi was an incredibly important individual. They had fame and renown like any other figure in Jewish culture, more significant than celebrities, than anything else. They were the people that others most identified with as being incredible. So everywhere Jesus went, carrying that title of rabbi, people wanted to be around him. But he was more than just an incredible teacher. We know that he was operating with miraculous power, even as he came into Jericho, healing blind people. He was this amazing, amazing rabbi. Now, when a rabbi would travel, and this is what they did, they traveled from town to town, village to village, city to city, and they would teach about the kingdom of God. They would teach about what it means to have a life lived in in who God is. And whenever they went to a new town, they'd spend some time with the people, and then they would choose someone where they would stay at their house. They would have a meal there. They would spend the night there. And that communicated something incredibly powerful. 
The rabbi didn't just select a house at random and say, hey, I'm going to stay at your house tonight. Or like point around the crowd and you, I'm staying at your house. The rabbi would choose because the rabbi knew that whoever's house they stayed in, they were communicating something. They were declaring that this household is worthy of my name. They were saying that this household will carry my blessing. That this household is a household of value which I honor and respect. And so when a rabbi came into your town, if he chose to stay at your home, it was this incredible honor within the community. Now this is why the crowd freaks out when Jesus picked Zacchaeus. They say, why are you going to Zacchaeus' house? And part of some of them would have probably been well-to-do people who have thought, Jesus, why aren't you staying at my house? Because there was a brokenness they believed about who Zacchaeus was. But Jesus communicated the exact opposite. When he says, I'm staying at your house, he says, you have value. You have significance. You are worthy of everything that I am. My grace, my peace, my blessing is resting upon you and your household. And then hold on to what Jesus is communicating there and listen to this in verse nine. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. And listen to this phrase, this is important. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. So Zacchaeus, all the Jewish people, their, their kind of heritage, their cultural heritage goes back to a promise that God gave Abraham. Some of you would know this story. And the gist of it is that God promised Abraham that he would be a blessed and chosen people that would bring the blessings of God to the world. That was Zacchaeus's heritage. And heritage was such a powerful thing for the Jewish person, for the Jewish family, that through generations, first in oral tradition, then written tradition, they would hold to the stories of Abraham, of Moses, and what God had done through their story. Their heritage was incredibly important. Now, for someone like a tax collector, someone like Zacchaeus, where there was an expression of betrayal to his people, it was almost like there was a cultural tearing away, that Zacchaeus loses all of that heritage as a child of God. He loses all of that heritage as a child of Abraham, that he's outcast from his Jewish culture. They might have said things like, he's, he's a Roman. He may as well just be another one of the Romans another one of the Babylonians, another one of the Egyptians that oppress us and have taken, taken our freedom away. So Zacchaeus has been taken away from his heritage as the people of God. And Jesus powerfully reinstates him. He says, I must stay at your house. My blessing must be upon your house. And then he backs it up with clarity for everyone else gathered around and says, Zacchaeus is a child of Abraham. He is a child of the Most High God. Now, it's this shift that brings out this incredible renewal in the life of Zacchaeus. But Jesus never once targets his behavior, does he? He never says, Zacchaeus, you're cheating people. Zacchaeus, your life's all about money. You're living that 50-cent life, get rich or die trying. That needs to change. Jesus never once speaks about behavior. Everything that Jesus does is about belief. I want to show you real quick a model for renewal that you sometimes see in, in education or sociology and some forms of therapy. That when we think about what it means to have a transformation in behavior, every time we target the behavior itself, it doesn't work. 
And every time things fall short and transformation doesn't happen in our lives, it's because we're just focused about the express behavior. Now, what Jesus is doing through this passage, he is not looking at the behavior at all at any moment. He doesn't reference it. He doesn't acknowledge it. Jesus goes straight to the heart. And he changes something in Zacchaeus' belief system right at its core. He says, Zacchaeus, you have value You are loved, and my blessing is upon your house. You are a child of Abraham. He says, you're a child of God. He changes something in his belief system about himself. He reminds him of his heritage, of his culture. No matter what he's done to tear himself away from it, Jesus declares that you are a child of God. You know what? God, the Father, wants to say something to you this morning that you are a child of God, that you are part of God's family, that nothing can take you away from that reality. Jesus speaks into Zacchaeus' belief system about who he is as a child of God. But there's more than that. We know that through this encounter, through this dialogue, there's also a shift in how Zacchaeus sees Jesus, that he's not just teacher, he's not just rabbi, but he's Lord, he's saviour. He's redeemer. He's renewer. And so Zacchaeus believes something new about himself. Or perhaps he's reminded, some, reminded of something about himself that once upon a time he knew. He says, I'm a child of God and Jesus is the Savior. And that belief system changes everything. His values now begin to shift. Can we go back to that other model? That the belief is changed about who he is, about who Christ is. That changes his values. That now it's not about money anymore. It's not about how much wealth I can get. It's about who I am as a part of God's holy and chosen people. So his attitudes towards his brothers and sisters change. That now he doesn't want to steal from them. He wants to bless them. And then out of that, you see the behavioral transformation that now he's giving instead of taking. You know, I believe that Jesus wants to do something in the arena of belief today. I believe that that Jesus doesn't care about whatever behavior may or may not be in your life. That's not what he cares about. That's not what he wants to bring renewal to. He wants to bring renewal to your soul, your belief, your faith about who Jesus is. You know, if you want that in your life, I wanna give you two strategies for this week that I believe can help lay a foundation to begin living with the renewal of God in your heart and in your soul. And it's gonna take some work. It's not gonna be a Zacchaeus transformation. It's gonna be a time of looking inward at the soul. We've been talking about clarity in the soul, turning our attention inward. We're gonna keep doing that this week. I wanna show you something. We've got two things we're gonna look at for this week. Two things to put into practice. Zacchaeus, something changes in his belief system around who he is, around how he sees Christ. Here's what I want you to do this week. If you've got a pen and paper, write this down, take a photo of the screen, whatever you need to do. Is begin by taking out a paper, taking out a pen, and write down everything. Write down everything that you believe Jesus thinks about you. What does Jesus believe about me? Any promise you can think of, any verse you can think of, any idea, theme, framework that you can think of. What does Jesus believe about me? Maybe that he loves me. Maybe that I'm valuable to him. Maybe that I'm worth dying for. And come up with as many as you can. You might come up with five. You might not be able to come up with any, and that's okay as well, because I want to give you something else to do. 
Once you've come up with a list, I want you to read. Romans 8, verses 1 to 17. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about who we are in relation to who God is because of what Jesus has done. Some of the most concentrated theology around who we are in God that you'll find anywhere in Scripture. It's awesome. Get into Romans 8, verses 1 to 17. Ask yourself this question, what does Jesus believe about me? And start to write down some of the promises, some of the truth that you find in that passage. Next one, what do I believe about Jesus? Depending on where you're at, this might be easier, it might be harder. What do I believe about who Jesus is? Do I believe that he is the way maker, the way, the truth, the life? Do I believe that he's the the promise keeper, the miracle worker, the one that brings renewal of life to me? And in fact, I'm going to invite the the team to come up and join me. You guys aren't the team. Wherever they're at, they're going to come. Oh, there they are. Beautiful. It's like looking down here. I was like, I don't think I saw you guys. Anyway, what do I believe about Jesus? Write down as many things as you can. And then finally, when you've run out of things to say, open up Colossians 1, 15 to 23. And that scripture is going to give you some more things to take hold of. Some more anchoring beliefs around how you see Jesus. Because I believe that everything that God has for us happens first with renewed belief, renewed faith. So this morning, I want to encourage you, become a seeker of God's presence that welcomes His presence gladly. Be a seeker with defined action. Be able to look at your life, look at your week and say, this is how I'm going to experience more of God. And stop worrying so much about the behavior. Worry about the belief. And allow that to express itself everywhere else. Because we find God in the arena of the soul, not in the arena of behaviors. When we seek Him, we're going to find Him. Can we stand together this morning? I'd love to pray for you. Then we're going to sing this song together one more time. John 14, verse 12. What was it, 6? The way, it is six. The way, the truth, and the life. See, the way maker. You know, if you're here this morning and you want Jesus to do some work in the place of belief in your life, love you just to create a moment just to close your eyes, free from distraction of those around you. You know, for me in these kind of places, I love to just hold out my hands symbolically, almost declaring, God, I want to receive something from your presence. Outward symbol that's a reflection of the desire of my heart. If that's you this morning, do that as well. Jesus, I thank you that you're present in this moment. And Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and fill every soul hungry for more of your presence this morning, Lord God. Jesus, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would come and do work in the arena of belief, Lord. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are reinstating every person in this room. Jesus, I want to thank you that our behavior cannot, will never cut us off from the family that we are a part of in you. And Jesus, I pray that every person here would remember their heritage as a child of God. That every person here would remember that Jesus, they're your brothers and your sisters in God's holy family. And that Jesus, they'll never be forsaken, never be rejected, never be cut off. But Jesus, all you ever want to do is say, this is your family. God, remind us that you are our heavenly Father. Reinstate strength. 
reinstate that heritage of faith. Jesus, show more of who you are. Lord, you are the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. And Jesus, as we sing that chorus, may the words of that song wash over us like the truth of Scripture and reinforce belief. Praise you, God. We receive that this morning, Lord. Miracle work. Come on, church, let's sing together.